Well, it was about 10 years ago, right after I graduated from college in 2007. Uh, I traveled for a year. I lived in Ecuador for six months and then Kenya for six months. Um, what I tell most groups is I went to figure out if I could be a missionary, which is partly true. But I'll tell you guys the real reason I traveled. Um, a girl broke up with me right before graduation. I got real sad, and then I got real mad, and I did not want to be in the same country as her. So I left. So sometimes God will call you in a weird way, but that was, that was my way. So anyway, uh, so I'm in Kenya, and uh, it's my first time really kind of out of the U.S., and one of my goals was to be if I, see if I could be a missionary, see if I could live outside the U.S., and so I, I lived and worked at a small orphanage um, right outside of Nairobi, Kenya, and we were about um, a month, uh, I was about a month into my time there, and it was on a Sunday morning, the kids and I were all walking to church together, and I remember looking down, there was a little girl walking right next to me, um, probably eight or nine years old. I'll never forget, she had the cute little white dress on, little girl in a white dress next to me. And as I looked down, I was completely shocked by how small her shoes were. Um, I think we might have a picture of, it was just like that. Her shoes were so small, she had to cut open the front to let her toes stick out. And I don't know why I hadn't really noticed this before, but I, I mean, I knew the kids were poor, but I, I, I looked around and a lot of the kids had shoes on that were just way too small. And it just, it just kind of bugged me. Of all the things that I'd seen while I was in Africa so far, like this was something that just kind of stuck with me. It really bugged me. So later that day, I asked the director of the orphanage, why do so many kids have shoes that don't fit? Um, and he said, well, more than a year ago, we received a big donation of clothes and shoes and things, but we haven't received any more donations since then. And, and you know, we, we barely have enough money for food, much less new shoes every time the kids need it, and they're kids. Their feet are always growing, so they just have to do the best with what they have. And they're really resourceful kids. They'd trade with each other. They'd, they'd you know, cut open the front, let their toes stick out, or they just wouldn't wear shoes, but it just bothered me. And so right then and there, I thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be nice if there were a pair of shoes that could adjust and expand their size? Like, wouldn't it be nice if there were a pair of shoes that could grow? Um, it seems like that would make a lot of sense for these kids. And so I wrote it down. If you ever have an idea, write it down. <laughs> so I wrote it down. And I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, got back to Idaho, where I'm from. Uh, realized I could not be a missionary. I missed Idaho and Wendy's and all the things that we have here in America too much. But my goal became, what could I do from here? What could I do from Idaho that could have an impact on kids around the world? And I went back to my journal. I still have the page, actually. I went back to my journal with this idea for a shoe that could grow. It took us a long time to make it, but let's see if we can put up, I think uh, we've got a little picture of it. So we were able to make um, the shoe that grows. It's basically, uh, and I can expand on this more tomorrow as well, but it's a shoe that can adjust five sizes. So it can grow in the front, the sides, and the back. Um, I practice what I preach, so I wear a pair myself every day. Um, it's actually a great pair of shoes. It can grow five sizes and last up to five years. And so my, my organization that I started at that point, a couple of friends and I, we started this, we did it, awesome, we got our first batch of shoes, we were so excited, um, but it was just a hobby in my life, just a small thing on the side, I had a full-time job and all that. And, and then a year and a half ago, it accidentally went viral. 
We did not mean for it to happen, but just kind of overnight, it was on a Friday, overnight, uh, it just took off. And, uh, and since then, we've gotten over 70,000 pairs of shoes to kids in over 80 countries. And now we have a team of five people, and this is my, my full-time job. And not only that, we're not only trying to get a product uh, that's going to help kids through our shoes, but we're trying to now use the production to help people through jobs. And so we just started to produce our shoes in Ethiopia, and we're trying to find a way to produce in Haiti. Um, we are so excited about the future of Because International, and uh, with this just being our first project, we've got other uh, innovative ideas that we're working on as well. But all this came about because a girl broke up with me. So please, break up with everyone right now. No, don't do that. But, um, but this has been a surprising thing in my life. I did not think I would be here speaking to you today. Um, but I am so glad to be here, and I'm excited to share my story a little bit with you today. Um, it's an honor to be here because I, I am in Idaho. I'm an Idaho guy. This is uh, a giant city to me. I just drove around yesterday. I kept getting lost, and that was kind of fun. But um, I used to, um, I, so I went to Northwest Nazarene University. I used to work there with Professor Tegger Strand, and I don't know if Carrie is here somewhere, but um, Carrie Lewis. Uh, so I was the campus life guy at NNU. So I brought some students here a few years back for NSLC and got to go to a Red Sox game. I had such a good time. I bought a hat. I still wear that hat. I see a Yankee hat over there. That's, we're not supposed to like them, right? Is that a thing? Anyway, I'm still trying to become a, a true fan, but I've got the hat. Um, but it's really great to be here. And I still remember my time in college. And when I was in college, um, I was a... Uh, so when I practiced this morning, I said backstreet boy, not a backstreet boy. I was a, a back row boy. Backstreet boys are different, but I was a back row boy. Um, when I practiced this morning, I laughed out loud when I said that to myself. But, but you guys have an upstairs too, so this is great. So I did everything I could to sit as far away as possible during chapel. Um, and then I would just do homework during chapel. And by do homework, I mean I would sleep, right? I was one of those guys. So, um, But I would try to listen every once in a while and my, you know, we're just people in a room talking, right? Sometimes this can get really formal. We're just people in a room talking. So I hope if you need to study a little bit, it's okay. It's okay with me. Um, if you fall asleep, if you had a long night, I get that. I've, I've been in, you know, in your shoes, but um, I hope you can catch something today. Not openly sleep like this guy. He just laid down. <laughs> he just full on laid down. <laughs> Don't do that, but... Uh, but I really do. I, I, hope you can, I hope you can catch one thing today, whether it's one story or one phrase or a concept that I talk about. I really hope that you can catch something today because this is a really cool thing that you get to come in this room and, uh, and listen to people talk, tell their stories, share what God has laid on their heart. Um, take advantage of this time. I really hope that you can learn something today and that this is valuable for you. Uh, on top of that, I love telling my story and talking um, more in-depth and answering questions. So if no one comes and talks to me, that is fine. I will just eat lunch by myself in the cafeteria. But I'm going to be here for a few minutes. I'm going to be in the cafeteria during lunch. Uh, do you guys have a nickname for the cafeteria? Is there, you call it the calf? Are you, for real, you do? Is, you're not just kidding. Okay. I'll be at the calf uh, and... Uh, if you see me sitting by myself, please come talk to me. I would love to talk to you more about what we do at Because International with, uh, with the shoe that grows. But, but here's my plan for our next few minutes. 
I'm going to share a scripture story. We're going to talk about that scripture story. I'm going to share a few other stories from my, from my life and my work, and then we're going to wrap up. Real simple. I'm just a, truth be told, just a simple guy from Idaho, so I try to keep things pretty direct. So um, the story I want to talk about today is one that you're probably all familiar with. It's a, uh, actually, maybe not, though. I don't know. I don't know you. Um, so, but it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. There are a couple of accounts in the Gospels. This one is from John, John chapter 6. So let me share this story with you, and I'm excited to dig into it a little bit. John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to kind of test him, because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, and I'm assuming... Uh, women and children as well, a ton of people. Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and the disciples helped distribute those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Pretty simple story right? Pretty straightforward story. Jesus often did things that were rooted in simplicity. For as complex and as complicated as he is, he was often pretty simple. Someone is blind, let's help them see. Someone is lame, let's help them walk. In this case, people were hungry. So it was a simple solution of giving them something to eat. This large crowd had been following him and listening to him, and he took compassion on them, and he wanted to help. And of course, he did this in an incredibly miraculous way, but what I want to look at today is that the story is about more than just Jesus. Let's look at who else helped in this story, because these characters, for some reason, they kind of fascinate me. Let's start with the boy. In this story, it almost makes it seem like Peter, uh, or a Andrew, uh, kind of force the boy over, but in other gospel accounts, I mean, he, the boy is generously giving of his five loaves and two fish. This little boy is being generous and sacrificially giving of what he has. Without this little boy, the story doesn't happen, right? I mean, maybe. I mean, technically, Jesus could probably do this on his own. He's, he's Jesus, but, but really, this boy kind of started it with his generosity. They needed someone to give, and he gave. The disciples. Jesus probably could have handled the distribution as well, but he decided he wanted to use his team. 
He used the disciples to help share the food with everybody, share the loaves, share the fish, clean up afterwards. He used the disciples as the muscle. They were the, the ones actually out there doing the work in the trenches with the people. I love that. And then, of course, Jesus. This is a miracle because of Jesus. He's the innovator, the instigator. He's the one who makes it all happen. His role cannot be overstated, but I also don't want to understate the roles of the others too. They all did their role to use what I like to call practical compassion and meet this need for the people around them. Practical compassion. I sat down with a marketing coach like a couple years ago to talk about our organization and how we can brand and all that. And he, he, I, I thought it was going to be this really like, I don't know, Steve Jobs, sophisticated kind of a meeting. But he basically said, why are you doing what you're doing? with Because International, with your life, like he really, it was only kind of one question he kept asking, but it was why, 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 why are you doing this? Why do you exist? Why this organization? You know, why do you, why do you get up in the morning? He kept asking me, why, why, why? And we finally got down to this core of what our organization and really what my life is all about. And it's, it was practical compassion. Like I said before, I'm just a simple guy from Idaho. I really am. I, I'm just a straightforward guy. I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I'm never the one who has the, you know, amazing idea of the technological whatever, whatever. Like, I, I don't understand physics or anything like that. I'm really a pretty simple guy. And so our organization is pretty simple too. We believe in practical compassion. And what that means to us is we try to do the small things that make a big difference. We know that our shoes don't solve every problem for these kids or for the communities where they live or their families. We know that these aren't the long-term solution for better health, but these are a small thing that really does make a big difference for them right now. And we call that practical compassion. And my big hope today is that you can see what your role is, what your strength is, what your way is, to live a life of practical compassion, doing small things that make a big difference. So I gave you a brief version of, of our story at the beginning, and, you know, it's, it's kind of fun for me. I, I, I'll admit it's, it's super fun. So I'm the one who gets to kind of have the glory position, right? So when media calls, I'm the one who gets to talk to them. I, inter, uh, reporters interview me. I get to come and speak at places. Um, I have this awesome job, but... I cannot do this alone. I could not do any of this without my team, my town, and my church. Kind of like Jesus with the, the 5,000. I mean, we all do this together, right? So let me give you a little shoe that grows trivia. Are there any business majors out there? Do you guys have business here? Hey, there's one, a couple. Okay. So when we first started, we used to make the shoes for $17 a pair. And then I would sell them for $10 a pair. And I was a business major, right? Like, I don't know. So, um, so when we took off, it just, we were losing money left and right. So my best friend in the world who uh, worked kind of in the corporate world for about 10 years um, at the, actually, at the fastest non-potato-related company, fastest-growing non-potato-related company in Idaho. Um, so he... <laughs> He quit his corporate job to come, to come and run this with me. 
partly because he saw how, how poorly I was, I was doing, but he, he quit his job to come run this. He hates talking to people. He hates doing anything that's not like Excel or, I don't know, QuickBooks. Like he just loves numbers and spreadsheets and the business side of it. And we would not be here today without him. His name's Andrew. Andrew's my business guy. He's my partner. And I couldn't do what I do without Andrew. Also, um, I kind of rushed through it, but essentially it took us uh, about six years to go from idea to reality with our shoes. And we tried a lot of different methods to try to make it happen. The first thing that we tried was to just give the idea away. I talked to uh, Nike, Adidas, Reebok, Crocs, Toms. I was really hoping Toms would want it. I just wanted to give it away. I thought it was a good idea. I thought it made sense. I thought a shoe like this would really impact a lot of kids. Nobody wanted it. I thought I wasn't explaining it well enough. So I paid someone to make a video to explain the concept of a growing shoe. We sent it back out to all these big shoe companies. I thought it was an amazing video. I actually watched it the other day. It was not an amazing video. But um, we just thought somebody's going to want this. They're going to think it's a good idea. No. Nobody thought it was a good idea. Nobody wanted to be a part of this. I remember going to my local Rotary Club on a Tuesday lunch. They'd asked me to come share about it, like after getting all this rejection. They asked me to come share about it. And I'm up there stuttering and stammering my way through the shoe that grows. I thought I did a terrible job. I remember sitting down all sad. And uh, the leader of Rotary brought me back up, put his arm around me and said, we believe in you, Kenton. We are so excited about what you're doing. and We support you 100%. That meant the world to me. And they continue to support us today. They are so awesome. My family, my, uh, my support system, my church, I had the idea, but truth be told, uh, no money, no mission, right? We needed some money. We needed to make this happen. We needed some funding. And they stepped up every single time we needed something. We would not be here today without $10 donations, $50 donations, $100 donations from random people and from the people in my life. In six months from now, we, we won't be here unless people give and help our cause. I mean, I can't do this alone. And it's so awesome because I get to invite people to figure out what their role is in practical compassion as they help us with the shoe that grows. Again, not that I'm like Jesus or anything, but just in the story, we see that Jesus didn't want to do it alone either, even though he could have. He's Jesus. He could do whatever he wants. He didn't want to do it alone. And it's amazing to see a meaningful effort come together through all kinds of different people using their unique strengths and abilities to make things happen. So here's my big finish, okay? We're doing great on time. Oh, we're doing so great on time. Here's my big finish. Uh, just like the crowds that followed Jesus, they had some needs and problems to be solved. There are people around you, and there are people around the world that have needs, and they have problems that need solutions. I mean, just scroll through Facebook to see all the craziness that's happening, right? especially the last 10 days or so. It's wild out there. I'm sure you're familiar with the challenges of poverty for people here in your context, just like for me in my context in Idaho, and then also in many developing economies around the world. There are people around you, and there are people around the world that need help. There are problems that need solutions. My pitch to you today is for you to live your life through the lens of practical compassion. 
Just doing small things that make a big difference. You don't have to have every answer. You don't have to have the perfect solution to bring world peace to every single person. Small things really do make a big difference. Just do something. Just get started. Jesus had characters play a specific role in this story of the feeding of the 5,000. I've had people play specific roles in our story. What role will you play? Because the world needs you. Your community needs you. Your city needs you. Your, your country, if you're American, your country needs you. The world needs you. The world needs Andrews. Who is out there who's going to start a business? Who's out there who's going to have the ability to come in and clean up messes for people and be organized and detail-oriented? Maybe you've got a friend who is a dreamer attached to them and help them make their dream a reality. Who is going to be the Andrew? Because the world needs Andrews. I wouldn't be here today without my Andrew. I should tell him that sometime, actually. I probably don't thank him enough, but the world needs Andrews. The world needs that little boy with the loaves and fishes. The world needs people to give. The world needs people to be generous and to sacrificially give. You know what would be the coolest thing? If one of you in here started a huge company and sold it for $10 million and then tithed a million dollars to your church. You kidding me? You know how excited your pastor would be? She'd go nuts, right? I mean, the world needs generous people. Jesus needed, eh, not technically maybe, not theologically, but Jesus needed that little boy with the five loaves and the two fish to step up and say, here's what I have to give. The world needs Kentons. Not necessarily, not really, because I'm, I'm really, I'm not that great, but I mean, as in the world needs people to start things. I have two skills in my life. I have only two skills. The first is I'm not afraid to fail. In fact, I fail all the time all the time. I'm not afraid to fail. I like taking risks. The second thing is I work hard. That's all I do. But that has enabled me to be in a place where if I have an idea, I try to make it happen. The world needs people like that because sometimes the Andrews don't like to do that. So the world needs Kentons. The world needs you. If you're a dreamer, a thinker, you like to tinker, you like to start stuff, you like to just try something, the world needs you. And the world needs the disciples right? The disciples are the ones who, truth be told, actually make everything happen. I've got a team of five people. I don't do anything. I just go and talk. They're the ones that actually make everything happen. And, and actually, our whole model is we don't distribute any shoes. We get all of our shoes to the right kids through churches going on mission trips and organizations that work with kids. We don't work with kids every day. I live in Idaho. I don't know the kids who need the shoes. So we decided let's work with the people who do. Let's work with the people who are out in the trenches every day, hands-on, working with kids. The world needs workers. The world needs the disciples who are out there making it happen. All this to say the world needs you. And I'm excited for you to find your strength, your skill, your role in how you are going to live a life of practical compassion. Let me finish with one quick story for one minute, and then I really am all done. I had a reporter... um, a year or so ago, asked me, how did you keep going with all this? Because it took us from the idea, the day I had the idea, till when we got our first batch of real shoes. It was more than six years. 
So this reporter said, how did you keep going? Why did you keep going? What motivated you? And in that moment, I couldn't really think of anything, so I, I just made up an answer. But I, I sat down later, and I really thought about, like, why did I keep going? Because I, I had a full-time job. I, I found a, a, a different girl. Uh, some would say a better girl. I found a different girl. And uh, we, we were getting married, like we dated and had gotten married during that time. And why did I keep going with this? And as I sat down and thought about it, it all came back to a simple thing for me. When I first went to, to Kenya specifically, it was to see if I could be a missionary. It was to get away from this girl. But to see if I could be a missionary, it was to learn about Africa, to learn about microfinance and a few other things. But it was all really project-based. But then when I got there and I lived every day with the kids at the orphanage, there was a switch. And these kids became not just a project, or a class or something, but they became my friends. So my motivation during these six years of trying to make a shoe that could grow was simply just these kids. Like, I, I loved them. They were my friends, and I wanted to do something to help my friends. I wanted them to have a better pair of shoes that would make their life better so they were more healthy and they could keep going to school and they could have more chances to succeed. I just wanted to do something to help my friends. That was my motivation. That's what kept me going through a lot of rejection and obstacles. I hope as you live a life of practical compassion, that relationships, that friendships can be your motivation. Whatever you're passionate about, whatever community you're really a part of, you're going to experience tough times. You're going to experience difficult things. I hope that your love of those around you and that your friendships and relationships can keep you going. Because again, the world needs you to be you and to go out and make a huge difference by maybe just doing some small things. I am excited to see what stories come out of these students here at Eastern Nazarene College. Thank you all so much.